welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast on Thursday, 3rd of August. And you may have heard a nice new jingle uh, before we actually started this, because uh, we're putting on a new uh, recording system. We get jingles and everything. It's all thrown in. Uh, so but there we go. Phil, Phil, you even worked out as a technology analyst how to get onto this new recording system. Yes, I have, Andrew, and it sounds very exciting. So I can't wait to get going. Well, you know, we're moving on with technology, the way we produce information, uh, which is sometimes called research. And I've got to just start off by saying that I, I had, I think it would be said, the pleasure of going to a round table with Rachel Kent, uh, with all the great and the good from the, the broking and investment banking industry last night, uh, to discuss research. And I have to say, they probably don't like me anymore, Phil, because I actually made it quite clear that I thought they were talking absolute rubbish the whole time. I actually wondered whether I'd gone accidentally into the Natural History Museum. I mean, they are still going on about the sort of research we used to do 20, 30 years ago. The world has moved on. Things like the internet have come along and AI. And it was just extraordinary. I mean, one of the main themes we were trying to get is they wanted to have a reduction in stamp duty to offset, to then be paid to broking firms to, to produce research. I mean, the government is not going to pay rich bankers to write research. That is not a vote winner. I'm sorry. Uh, and as I pointed out, so, you know, actually, we don't need more buy notes on every company. What we want actually is sell notes. So I did suggest maybe the government would like to pay twice as much for a sell note. That didn't really go down that well. But also what was incredible was, I mean, I asked a few questions like, you know, have you taken into account that a lot of information now is out there is done by things like this, podcasts, video blogs, webinars, conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And no, they hadn't looked at that at all. 80% or 90% of the information most investors get now comes from that source, not written research. Written research, is, it, it, as, as we know it from the past, for secondary, is basically dead. It's, it's done to facilitate the corporate client, et cetera, et cetera. All, it's, it's just madness. It's like, uh, I don't know, what they were thinking about. Um, they just and I asked Rachel Kent, had she ever dealt PA? The answer was no. She didn't actually know, unfortunately, how the market really works. And then some analyst, I mean, it's theoretically a very senior person at quite a large broking firm, said, "Oh well, you know, we need more research because we need to go back to the days of Telsid and uh, and British Gas." Well, I can tell you because I actually was involved in those days with the flotation of British Telecom in 1984, in particular. No one read the bloody research. It was completely irrelevant, Phil, because they just knew it was going to go to a premium because you could stack things in those days. Don't talk about things when you weren't actually working in those days. You were still in you know, little shorts or whatever, primary school. Um, but it really has made me quite cross that people don't understand that the world has moved on. I'm not saying you don't need analysts, but what you don't need is loads and loads of analysts writing secondary research. It's, you know, I'm not knocking you at all, Phil. We do this as a podcast. That's how we get our message out there. There are a lot of things we do differently today. You've got to move on with the times. It's no good looking back the whole time and saying, oh, I wish, I wish. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. Is that all right? <laughs> Andrew, that's fine. Um, I, I will carry on doing some written research, as we, we need to do, but I'm absolutely with you that it's a, it's a blend of information for investors. Do you know, there's more information out there now on companies than there has ever been. Yeah. But it's not written research. It comes in different forms. Why people can't see that? It's like, you know, I'll tell you what, it's like 
someone's come in to see Rachel Kent and said, oh, I, I, I'm coughing. She's gone, oh, you must have a cough. Has anybody got any cough mixture? And all the brokers have gone, yes, we make cough mixture. Look, pay us lots of money for our cough mixture. The problem was what she didn't spot was that patient actually got COVID. And what she really needed to cure was the COVID, not the cough. Now, the COVID in our case actually is the fact that there isn't the pension funds got no money whatsoever now in equities. UK equities, there is zero capital in. It's been destroyed over the last 20, 30 years. It's a brilliant chart out from Schroders, by the way, which shows it. That's the problem you've got to solve. And if you solve that problem, everything else will fit into place. And there's nothing wrong with free markets, supply and demand balancing itself out. People will pay for research what they think it's worth. You're not going to get a government subsidising investment bank research. That's absolutely balmy. Now, that was a bit of a rant, but actually it is relevant to the whole tech and transition energy. It's relevant to this podcast. So I apologise for those listening that think it's a bit off track. It's not off track. It's very important. Um, at VSA, we took the view right at the beginning to go what's called broker exempt. Our research, we allow people, anybody to read it and they can read it for no zero cost. Um, we're about the only firm in the city that does it, but I think it is slowly being proved to be absolutely correct. The problem is we sometimes are a little bit ahead of our time. But you'd think that's why people would want to listen to us, because we do spot things ahead of time. Um, I better shout now, don't I, Phil? <laughs> oh, look, Andrew. No, I think I think it's I think it's all very fair comment, actually. Poor Rachel. Sounds like it's a bit of a bit of a tough evening, but I know it is absolutely fair comment. So let's crack on with the podcast. And by the way, I did give her my card, and I said she was welcome to come and talk, have a cup of coffee with me, but mm, she hasn't been in touch yet. Oh well, let's hope let's hope she does. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, just just getting getting into the getting into the news, Andrew, and uh, there has been. Uh, quite a bit about. I mean, as you, as you, you, you know, our listeners will know, we t- we take a kind of top-down view in looking at what what bigger players are ha- saying, what's happening in industry, what's happening in the, in the economy, um, and for, for for technology and transitional energy. Actually, one of the biggest markets is automotive, the automotive sector. We follow news flow there, um, and the uh, the first is, but the news I saw this week was that Ferrari. Andrew, not relevant to me, don't have one, but uh, Ferrari, market cap 55 billion, these shares have done very well, up 35% this year, um, and they announced their second quarter results and said their profits were up 33% from a year ago, uh, and this is customers still very much buying Ferraris and personalising them, so different part of the consumer market, but clearly one that is spending. Um, sort of in a wider sector, BMW. Right, we're going to talk cars. I've got to actually say something else today. Right? Right. And this really is probably, again, just me ranting a little bit. But I am so disappointed today to hear that Volvo are no longer going to make estates. The Volvo 70 oh. will no longer be built. I mean, I've had one now for 25 years or so. Well, I've had different ones. They are great workhorses. Um, they're only going to make SUVs. SUVs are a pain in the neck. They're too high you can't get a big dog in the boot oh i'm so disappointed by volvo but there you go sorry carry on phil (laughs) i've never had a volvo estate but uh my brother had one they they were excellent right bmw uh, i've just had their results out as well um and they reported that they delivered in their i think these were half year results uh 1.2 million vehicles compared with 1.16 in a period ago but what's interesting in the results i thought was the volume of electrified models that they sold during the period increased to 245,000 uh so a quarter of a million out of that 1.2 million 
uh, and up by 33%. And while deliveries, including hybrids in there, but fully electric vehicles, their deliveries doubled from 76k units to 152k, and now account for BEVs in total, uh, just under 13% of their first half sales. So, you know, we can see, as we've talked about often, electrification, what's happening in the car space, um, it, you know, it really is, and, and they're seeing a, a positive impact on their demand. Um, what was also quite interesting, because it does affect wider industry, they were saying that they benefited from higher pricing and sales, obviously a bit of inflation there, which rose overall by 11%, um, but they also saw some increases due to higher raw material uh, costs, a uh, bit cautious on the global economy, um, and warning that uh, supply chain inflationary issues were easing, uh, but not over. However, they did upgrade their expectations for the year, expecting higher margins on their car division of 9% to 10.5% versus 8 to 10%. Uh, expect solid growth in delivery. And in terms of the end markets by region, uh, growth in the European automotive market, robust sales in the US, and slight growth in China for the rest of the year. So there we are. So that, that, that's quite a bearing on the you know, view of the automotive sector. They did well there because, of course, exports to China from Germany were significantly down, announced this yeah. morning, I think, yeah. uh, because China is, is a very tough place at the moment. It's not just automotive, though, that's going well, of course. I'm sure you, you're going to talk in a second, and I'll just preempt you slightly, about the aviation sector because we've had Rolls-Royce yeah. and BAE systems, both of which actually have upgraded guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, 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 um, let's move on to those. So BAE systems... Uh, you can throw me there, Andrew. You can tell. Right. So, <laughs> I'll press. I can hear you clicking through your notes, actually. I don't <laughs> on the old recording system. We could hear that, but everybody can now. Hey, you can tell I prepare for these things. So, uh, yeah, so BAE have their interims to June, um, and uh, shares have had a really strong run. Um, so, they're uh, just under £10, I think, at the moment. So, I think it's BAES. Uh, market cap's £28 billion. Um, so clearly, you know, BAE is defence, aerospace, one of our biggest defence manufacturers. Um, also, submarines as well, which has a bearing on some of our corporate clients. So their revenues reported uh, for six months were nine point seven billion, up to eleven billion, and their operating profits, you know, a lot falling down into profit here, from, up from a billion to one point two billion, uh, and the EPS up from just on twenty p to thirty two p. So really strong. But what was eye catching about this? I thought was the order books, um, and their order books went from forty two point five billion to fifty five billion during the six month period, um, and within you know, those orders, they won a contract with the Czech Republic uh, for their Haglund's vehicles. Uh, it's valued at $1.8 In Maritime, the Stute submarine uh, left their submarine site in Baron Furness. And we know that a client of ours, Pressure Technologies, is supplying cylinders, high-pressure cylinders into the submarines. Um, and they also said, again, kind of relevant for us with electrification technologies, that BAE Systems and Hart uh, Aerospace, a Swedish electric plane maker, announced a collaboration uh, to find a battery system for the Hart's electrical aeroplane. Um, but, they're, uh, you know, just in terms of overall, they said, you're right, Andrew, they're upping their guidance. Sales guidance increased from 5% to 7% growth. Um, and EBIT guidance up as well, 6% to, to 8%. 
so yeah, good strong set of results there from BAE and uh, very helpful all round, I'd suggest for. Uh, yeah, the share price has doubled in the last 18 months, but of course they do like a good war. Uh, well, yes, they are. <laughs> they are a big defence company. So, yes, it certainly has benefited them. Um, but also, as you say, you know, looking to aerospace, Rolls-Royce have their interims. Um, I don't know if you want to sort of comment on them, but I mean, it, it's, you know, it's a tale, similar tale. It's sales, and this is civil aerospace has really benefited Rolls-Royce because their engines are in, of course, many planes globally in the engines. They supply new engines, but also they make an awful lot of profit on uh, ongoing maintenance, and the maintenance is different by flying hours. And of course, more people are flying and going on holiday. So their sales are up from 5.3 billion to just under 7 billion, but their profit, operating profit, increased from um, 125 million to 673 million. So really strong and strong free cash flow as well uh, for the company. Uh, defense margins up on strong revenue growth, um, and civil aerospace moved into an operating profit with a margin of 12.4% versus a, a small loss in the prior period. So, yeah, going really well. Yeah, look, I mean, the only uh, caution I would give, um, I think some people know that I've followed the aviation industry very closely for about 40 years, and everyone's getting very excited about it because they're all making record profits and everything yeah. like that. And, and it, what they're having is a post-COVID boom right. in the same way they had a during-COVID disaster. Uh, and airfares at the moment are ludicrously high, um, and the service provided by some of these carriers is ludicrously low. Um but um, prices are going to start coming down. We've already seen Cathay Pacific, actually, I think it was yesterday, warn that prices are going to start to come down as capacity is now starting to outstrip supply. I noticed a couple of days ago, I was just flicking through flights. I see that Swiss Air is now reducing its business class flights significantly. And of course, when they do that for transfer flights, all the other transfer carriers, like the Middle East carriers and people like Finnair, they all have to bring their flights down. And as their prices come down, you know, the, the flag carriers like British Airways have to bring their prices down. So I think, unfortunately, the, the boom for the, the airline industry, uh, which has been amazing for them, but they deserve to catch up after COVID, oh, yeah. uh, is coming to an end. And that may slow down, actually, the, uh, the demand for product from people like Rolls-Royce, etc. But we'll see. That's another subject, really. Let's stay on tech and trans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Spectris. Now, this is one we talked about uh, in prior podcasts. The tickers SXS, uh, mark, 3.6 billion market cap. They have interims to June. Um, they're a really interesting company, Spectris. It's high technology instrumentation, so things that measure you know, noise, vibration, pressure used across industries in laboratories. Um, so it's instrumentation, test equipment, and also software. And as they quote, for technically demanding industrial applications. And in terms of their and market exposure, which we you know you always look at when you're investing in businesses and where we are in the economic cycle, but their in market exposure is life sciences, twenty uh, percent of revenue, tech led industries fifteen percent, automotive twelve percent, and then electronic semiconductors eleven percent. But they have two divisions in Spectris. It's a complicated business because they they've acquired over the peer, over the years, uh, but the scientific side of the uh, the business. Um, that's exposed to life sciences, uh, metals, mining, um, semiconductors, academic research. Uh, and within the interim period, they saw growth in sales of 22% and adjusted operating profits up 30% on a like-for-like -like basis. So this is excluding any acquisitions. 
um, and with 130 basis points improvement in operating margins. So the rising sales feeding into profits on the scientific side of business and on the dynamics division, which is exposed to automotive, including EVs, aerospace and defense, which we've just been discussing, um, they had said that uh, during the interim period, sales up by 23%, um, and they've made acquisitions, but 13% on a like-for-like basis, uh, and the operating margins up again. So, you know, overall, for the uh, for the group during the interims, sales up by 19% to $700 million, and operating profits up from $72 million to $102 million. They've got a strong balance sheet. Um, they're engaged in the share buyback at the moment. Um, and they're £83 million into a £300 million programme buying back shares. So fairly confident, good set of results uh, for Spectris in, during the cycle. Results in general, actually, are, are coming in you know, pretty good, actually, either in line or, or guidance upgraded. I mean, you know, actually, the old UK PLC is doing not badly. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fair observation. I, you know, the, there are areas that, of course, you know, we are seeing, we have seen weakness. We've spoken about weakness in consumer electronics, and we've seen some of that coming through from the, you know, from the US results. I mean, we saw AMD hit the, you know, the kind of markets a bit this week with its its results, AMD's processors, but um, they go to PCs uh, for consumers, but also servers, and they have lower, they'd still seen a weaker, you know, PC market. Qualcomm, they have their uh, quarterly numbers out, um, and they've got weaker markets in, in smartphones. So it tends to be the, you know some of the uh, consumer bigger ticket that's that's being impacted, but there was a lot of glut of spend of that during during COVID, of course, Andrew. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, I'll just move on to results that weren't so good. Uh, might as well get those out of the way. Uh, Spirant, a prior, mm. prior pick pick of mine a long time ago. Um, SPT's a ticker. It's just under a billion market cap. The shares are down quite heavily, um, and Spirant is. A um, test equipment specialist, and their test equipment is used uh, for telecommunications networks, uh, high-speed networks, in the likes of data centers, but also testing of smartphones uh, and cloud infrastructure. Um, and they had previously reported, I think, on sort of slowing sales, but uh, they had their uh, interim results out to uh, to the foot to June, and they reported their uh, order books were up by about 7%, um, but they order, you know, overall, but the order intake during the period was down by 19% to 239 million. Revenues down by 20% to, 208, uh, to 223 million. Uh, and that's impacted their uh, profits, which is now 49 million to 12 million. So not, uh, not good. Um, but they said that the 5G business has been, you know, is, is still going very, very well. They want 260 new contracts for that. Uh, test and lab automation, $15 million of, of new contracts there. So going through a bit of a bit of a patch at the moment, um, but they've said, despite first half being materially impacted by industry-wide slowdown in customer spending, um, they've seen an uptick in orders in the second quarter, which will feed into their second half. So we'll see how that goes for Spiron. Yeah. Challenging. Uh, and Gamma Communications, Andrew? Yeah, I didn't see that, so do tell me. Yeah, they had uh, tickers GAMA, 1.1 billion market cap. Um, again, interim results 
and they are so gamma um provide its telecoms and it infrastructure so things like um cloud pbx so these are the switches that are used across businesses and offices uh, to switch phone calls and then they're hosted in the cloud they do high speeds what are called high speed sip trunks uh, and these are networking systems so to give you high speed high speed internet so session internet in initiation protocols sip is um so uh, they supply those um and they you know an overall communications technologies into into businesses now, just looking at their results, um, they split it business into two. So there's indirect and then there's direct. So indirect is through distribution into SMEs. Um, and they said that during the intermittent period that they saw a strong, uh, strong growth in the, um, the indirect business and that in the direct business, they had a number of significant contract wins, particularly with a home office in the public sector. Uh, and with Lidl's for their uh, store communications network, and um, they won some contact centre uh, management business with the NHS. So uh, overall, what does it mean? Um, they're expecting uh, just a EBITDA growth during the period, um, and they have closing net cash of 121 million. So all in line with market expectations. So just really, I think for Gamma, a bit of reassurance there on the on the business. Uh, did you look at IP Group? Yes, and I don't have the results in front of me. Um, well, I'm going to tell you roughly, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This one drives me insane, I'll be honest. Yeah. With you. I think as most people know, I actually do own the stock, and I'm somewhat regressing it. I did. Oh, yeah. I bought it at 70, said I'm going to sell it at 140. It got to 140. What did I do? Not sell it. Here we are down at 57.5p. Uh, the NAV is still falling because, of course, it's so exposed to Oxford Nanopore, and that just keeps falling and falling and falling. Uh, and they are missing a trick. Whenever they do a share buyback, they should actually sell some Oxford Nanopore at the same time. Otherwise, all you're doing is increasing your exposure to Oxford Nanopore, which is a negative move to do. I'm not sure they quite work that out. That's sort of some fairly simplistic. Well, no, maybe complex arbitrage, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, their NAV's fallen again a little bit. But I mean, the stock still, still trades at more than a 50% discount to NAV. So there's no way that I'm going to sell it. Um, so, uh, but it really should just merge with Molten Ventures and create a new company called IP Ventures or something. Uh, they're both about the same size. They're both trading at massive discounts. It would actually create a lot of shareholder value. I think a lot of the institutions that I've talked to about this have said, that'd be a bloody good idea, Andrew. Can you get them to do it? I can't get them to do it because we're just a little BSA, but that's what they should do. Well, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a sound suggestion, and especially at that NAV discount. And, and given as well, I think what caught, caught me, if you look through on the valuations, and you're right, they've been impacted by the Oxford Nanopore because it's quoted. Um, but if you look at their unquoted valuations, they didn't go down too much from my memory. Um, and yet, you know, you've seen overall pressure on valuations. So, Well, I think from memory, they both have a cost base of about 24 million each. Bang them together, you could probably, yeah. instead of having 48 million, keep it at 24 million. That's 24 million quid you could probably save overnight. Come on, guys, do a merger. If you need a bit of help, VSA will help you. We won't charge you too much. There we are. I'll tell you what, last time we're here, by the way, it's not news, but I'm just going to say it because another stock that I own, I'm always saying I should sell at a certain price, is SSE. Yeah. And SSE, I was, I, I bought this. I've actually done very well out of it, longer term, so I'm really not unhappy at all. But I did say, look, if it gets over to sort of 18 pounds, heading 19 pounds, got to sell it, got to sell it. Uh, 
Uh, and of course, it did get up there. It got up to about £18.50, I think. Did I sell it? No, like hell, I did. Here we are, back down at 1640 Oh, I should listen to my own advice. But I'm not, I'm not a trader. I'm a long-term holder. And actually, longer term, I like SSE. But, you know, now that it's come all the way back down again, must be a buy. So there's a buy recommendation. Oh, will the government pay me some money for that? They should do it because they want to subsidise our research. <laughs> right. And to, and to close on, uh, Blanco. You're putting um, some clothes on? No, not clothes on, Andrew. But my God, no. I'm fully, well, I haven't got the cameras on, but I can reassure our listeners I'm fully dressed. Um, there was, like, continuing subject of uh, M&A, um, Blanco. Uh, ticker is uh, oh yeah, yeah. been taken over. Yeah, we're losing another tech company from the listed markets. And I tell you what, we caught my well, there's a couple of things in this actually. Um, so the takeover, particular uh, bid has been accepted, um, is from Francisco Partners Funds, who are based in San Francisco, and they've got forty-two billion under management. And they are buying out a UK tech company for 175 million. Uh, is the uh, is the accepted offer 223p in cash? So, you, Phil, here's your challenge. I'm going to San Francisco fairly soon because I'm doing a road show with uh, our favourite client, Invinity Energy Systems. Maybe you should get me a meeting with them, and I'll give them some more ideas. There's your challenge. Yeah, there's a bit of a pause there on that one, Andrew. I need to have a think. Anyway, George, George Soros, apparently the Soros funds own 21.9% of the uh, of Blanco, so they will benefit from that. But uh, yeah, very sad to see another UK company uh, leaving the market, being bought out. It shows the quality of some of the things that we've got listed and often getting undervalued. But that's our role to kind of try and point some of those out in this podcast. Talking of which, it looks like Arm is going to float on NASDAQ for about 55 billion sterling. Could be uh, actually as early as sort of September, October, they're really revving it up. Um, so that's obviously going to be quite a big news story because it's such a British company. Uh, and also, it's probably worth finishing off, we have recorded this a little bit earlier than normal. So often when we record this, we've just heard from the Bank of England. We haven't actually heard from the Bank of England, but I think it's fair to say that they are going to raise interest rates up. And the reason I say that's quite simple is the BBC website about half an hour ago actually was um, suddenly putting up stories about how the Bank of England is going to raise interest rates. Um, it's total madness. I mean, Andrew Bailey has completely lost the plot. You know, if you're changing your interest rates every month, which he basically has done for 14 months, it, have, it is tantamount to basically saying we get it wrong every time. We're having to keep, keep changing it because we got it wrong. 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 When will he learn to stop fiddling around with it every month and just do a change and let's see how it works. It takes more than a month for these things to feed through. And, of course, the inflation problem we've got is not demand-led. It's supply-led. You need a different lever for that. I mean, it's embarrassing the way this country is run, but there you go. Right. Well, we'll look forward to next week, Andrew. Very good. Well, look, I hope everybody enjoyed this uh, podcast, which is technically research. I think you don't have to pay for it. It's all right. It's free. Any anything you want us to talk about, we'll talk about it. Uh, any comments you got, please send them in. If you disagree with my views, which quite a few people do, uh, please let me know. I'm always interested in the other side of the coin. But uh, on that note, uh, go and have an in enjoyable rainy weekend because the rain is still going in this country. That hasn't stopped yet. And uh, we'll speak again next week. Excellent. Look forward to that, Andrew.
This podcast has been produced and edited by VSA Capital. It is intended for information purposes and not as investment advice. The information is intended for recipients who understand the risks associated with equity investments in smaller companies. Please do your own research and do not rely on a single source when making an investment decision. VSA Capital may derive fees from this content and seeks to do business with the companies mentioned.